If you would, let's uh, turn to Luke 22, Luke 22, 14, and 15. When the hour had come, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the, the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Let me read it to you one more time since it's very short. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The word of the Lord. I want you to notice those words before I suffer. Jesus institutes this supper we celebrate this morning before he suffers. It's not as if he hasn't been suffering. He is suffering at this very moment as he even institutes this supper. And he is going to suffer much more greatly in just a few hours. But he has instituted this suffer, this, this supper, the sufferer institutes the supper for those who suffer. Now, if you have any doubt about suffering, all you have to do is probably poke the person to your left or to your right and ask them if they suffer any. Um, they will probably tell you that they have a few pains, a few hurts. Maybe they're using, what's it called? The, what's it called? It starts with a V. Voltaren. Maybe some of you take Voltaren baths. I don't know. I know some who do. Our brother is here today. I was really glad he's here today. He just had suffer. He just had a, a surgery, and he has had some pains. A few months ago, we had three men down in their backs. One is do, pursuing alternatives to possibly keeping surgery at bay. One gets out of his truck as he's driving, and he does exercises to keep himself in shape. And another is standing in front of you, and he's okay right now. There's another who began to hurt in his back last week. I think he's better. We've had three ankle injuries in the past three or four weeks. One's wearing a boot on the front row. Um, we have been praying for a young lady who's had a growth pl play problem. And I think she's feeling better. God does answer our prayers. Some of us have chronic pain that never seems to go away. Um, others are bedridden. We have one of our dear saints who has two broken knees, and we hope that she's recovering, and we hope that the next x-rays prove that she's healed. But if you ask anyone around you, they're suffering in the building. Uh, we've lost one of our founding members. We buried one of our founding members, and there's grief going on there. Some have been suffering at the hands of others, words that have been said to them, words that hurt. And they're left wondering, what is the Lord going to do with me? So we see that our suffering comes in all shapes and forms. And this suffering, it causes us to do something. Now this sermon, it just kind of grows out of everything I've been preaching to you guys in the morning and in the evening in the past weeks. But we've been studying about Dave in a cave. Last week we saw Dave go into a cave. Did you hear the beginning of the call to worship this morning? That psalm was Dave in a cave, the cave of Adullam. I put that in there on purpose. So what is Dave doing in this cave and why is Dave 
Why is David fleeing to this cave? Well, the reason David is on his way and running to this cave is because a crazy man is after him. A jealous man named Saul is after David. And so what is he doing? This man has all the resources of Israel in his back pocket. At some point, we're going to see that 3,000 men, crack soldiers, are going after one man like a flea in the wilderness. Saul is going after David, and so David is on the run. David runs to the prophet Samuel. David runs to his best friend, Jonathan. David runs to the priest Ahimelech. David, even in desperation, goes to Achish, the king of Gath. What are you thinking, David? To go to the king of Gath. Do y'all remember who he killed from Gath? Goliath of what? Gath, right? And then we find him in a cave. Well, what's he doing in the cave? Well, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 tell us that David is suffering in this cave and that he's also crying out to the Lord in this cave. We have found out that our suffering many times has benefits, even though we may not like it. It has benefits. It causes us ultimately to flee to the Lord. And so we said last week that we ended the sermon by saying, isn't it interesting that we have a portrait of the kingdom of God in this cave? We have an anointed king surrounded by 400 men and the kingdom of God looks like people in a cave. Doesn't it? Does it remind you of what it looks like in here? It looks like a cave to me sometimes, right? And we are are worshiping the one true and living Christ and we are gathered together and the same thing's happening as Jesus institutes this supper. The greater of David is in an upper room. It's secret. Nobody really knows they're there. And he's there with his chosen men. And he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The context of the supper is suffering. The context of this supper is suffering. His whole life, Jesus' whole life has been a life of suffering. Even before he knows it, there's another crazy man king out there going after him before he's two years old named Herod the Great. And he will kill this little baby because he doesn't want this newly born king of the Jews to take his place. So he's going after the newborn king. He's going to be tempted in the wilderness to evade, to stay away from the cross. And even though Jesus spoke like no man ever spoke before, and even though He did things that no man ever did before in His miracles, all this plain preaching and all this plain miracles done right in front of these folks' eyes, they go after Him and the people will persecute Him and they will plot to put Him to death. He knows it's coming. He told the men who were around him, remember what he said to his men? He says, who do you say that I am? And they said, Peter says for all of them, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus takes them apart that night or that day. And he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I will suffer at the hands of all the elders, all the chief priests. I will suffer at their hands, at the hands of the scribes, be killed and raised up on the third day. And they didn't believe it. Remember what Peter said? God forbid it, Lord. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) They didn't think, they didn't believe it. And so Jesus, He knows about suffering. I think we can be pretty certain that He buried His own Father. He understood suffering. After He was baptized, Jesus began to carry on His shoulders the the burden of our sins, even there. 
He was a shepherd who saw people. He was a shepherd who saw people like sheep without a shepherd. And so he would go out and he would minister and he gave himself to save sinners. And ultimately, that would mean death on a cross. In this room, in this cave where he's instituting the supper, the betrayer is there. The enemy's in the room with him. And he's still seeking to bring him to stay to, to turn from his uh, betrayal in veiled terms. And all the while he knows more suffering's on the way. He goes to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to cry out for God to let this cup pass from him. He's going to sweat great drops of blood. He's going to plead to save sinners in some other way. But there's only one way. It's the Via Della Rosa. It's the way of suffering. And so on this night, this Passover celebration takes place. Our suffering Savior, He comes and He takes bread and He says this, This is my body which is given for you. Here is my suffering. This is my body. He says, this cup which is poured out for you, this is in our text in Luke, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Here is my suffering. Just as, as bread is broken and just as wine is poured in a cup, my body will be broken and my blood will be poured out. Jesus is telling His disciples what He's going to do before it happens. Y'all know if you read your Bibles, He says that many times. He's constantly saying, I'm telling you this before it happens. And He's getting them ready for their own suffering. John 15, 18, just a few um, chapters after chapter 13 where He's doing the, uh, serving the Lord's Supper in John. He says this, If the world hates you, brothers, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20, if they, hate, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The context of the supper is suffering. Well, second, we see the commemoration and the celebration of the suffering. Did you see what it says there in chapter 22, verse 19 of Luke? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is establishing this supper and he wants us to remember it. He wants us to celebrate it. What happened when the children of Israel came out uh, at the time of the Exodus? God told Moses to write it down that they were to remember what has happened and celebrate it every single year. And you and I, we are to commemorate and we are to celebrate the suffering of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us twice in 1 Corinthians 11, just to make sure we hear it. Verse 23, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Commemorate, celebrate. Verse 25, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What do we celebrate? What are we commemorating? Well, we're proclaiming Showing forth the Lord's death until He comes. That's what we're doing. Now I want you to think about something. It's this suffering of this life that saves us from our sin. In Luke 9.31, do you know the this, this story about the transfiguration? Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And young people, listen to me. Have y'all ever seen... Don't they do cartoons sometimes where, where people in the cartoons swallow the sun? Have you ever seen somebody swallow the sun? <laughs> we know it can't happen, but you know what happens if you swallow the sun? 
the sun is so bright it starts coming out of your pores. And Jesus, when He's on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's like the glory of the divine nature is shining out of His pores. And there's Peter, James, and John. They're watching all this take place. And then there's Elijah and Moses. They stand there and they're talking to Jesus. Do you know what they're talking to Jesus about? It says that the representative of the law, Moses, and the representative of the prophets, Elijah, are talking to Jesus about His departure. Now, do you know what the word in the Greek for departure there is? E-X-O-D-U-S. Exodus. They're talking to him about his exodus. Well, how does that factor in? Well, listen, go back to the Old Testament. What happens at the exodus? No one is saved in Israel apart from the shedding of blood. Thousands of lambs are slaughtered. Blood is spread on the doorposts and the lentils of those homes. Here's Pharaoh and all his folks. No blood. Here's God's people and all this blood smeared over all these doors. These folks are saved and these are not. And Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah about His exodus. His accomplishment of salvation on the cross, He will bleed and His blood will be smeared over your lives so that you can be forgiven. So that you're saved from sin and death and hell and the grave. His blood is smeared over our lives. Our lives. By faith, we receive this blood smeared over our lives. And we're set free. We're set free to live new kinds of lives. Last Sunday night, we said that David's mighty men would do anything for him. Will you do anything for Jesus? We're here because we love Him. We're here to remember. We're here to celebrate this blood being smeared over our lives. Wonderful blood. Celebrate this suffering. Well, third, it gets better than this. Now we're going to look at the communication of the benefits of Christ's suffering in our lives. Question 96 in the Shorter Catechism. Listen to this. What is the Lord's Supper? Answer. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine according to Christ's appointment, this is something He institutes, His death is showed forth, and the worthy receivers are, not after a corporal and carnal manner, I'll help you understand this in a minute, but by faith, you and I are made partakers of His body and blood, we are made partakers of His body and blood with all His benefits to your spiritual nourishment and to your growth in grace. Did you get that? There is a benefit by sitting down here and eating. There is something communicated that's, that's given to you as we sit here. We're talking about the spiritual nature now of the table. The worthy receivers are made partakers of the body and blood of Christ. Really? How is that? Well, we're going to see it's in a spiritual way. The benefits of Jesus' death on the cross, the nourishment we receive from it as we eat and drink today, we receive by faith. Let's think about what a worthy receiver is. A worthy receiver, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we put all our confidence in Christ alone. I'm a worthy receiver when I put all my confidence in Jesus' righteousness and not in my righteousness. A worthy receiver is someone who comes to this table, listen carefully, with imperfect faith. (laughs) 
Imperfect repentance. Imperfect obedience. So who are we resting in? We're resting in somebody's perfection. Jesus' perfect righteousness is what we rest in. This is a worthy receiver. And listen to me another thing. We come as those who obey commandments. Have you ever thought about it? The 1 Corinthians 11 passage, he says, take, that's a command. Eat, that's a command. You ready to obey today? Ready to obey? Are you ready to drink? Drink is a command. He comes, a worthy receiver comes and obeys commands. We don't figure out, listen to me folks, we don't figure out ways not to take the Lord's Supper. We figure out reasons why we ought to take it. (laughs) We ought to take it because we're resting in what Jesus has done. He comes, He's going to give us into our hands His body and His blood. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless. Here's the question. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Expect an answer. Yes, it's a participation in the blood of Christ. (laughs) The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Yes, it is a participation in the body of Christ. So you and I, as we eat and drink, we are participating not, as our text says, in a corporal manner. We're not literally eating the body and the blood of Christ, drinking the blood of Christ. But spiritually, we are receiving something from Jesus Christ as we eat and drink. So as we see the sacrament, it's a high priority in the mind of our Lord. Paul tells us we ought to do this often. So it needs to be a high priority for us. We need to figure out ways to be in worship, folks. We need to be, be figuring out ways to be in under the preaching of the Word and under the sacrament to, to take it. We need to be here praying and we need to be here fellowshipping with each other. Jesus institutes this supper having suffered while He's suffering and He's on His way to more suffering and He institutes this and He gives it to His suffering people. He gives it to us that we might grow in grace. Now, not all of us are in a season of suffering right now. But you're training for it. Did you hear that? You're training for it. Roadside ahead. Suffering ahead. Put it in big old bold letters at home. Suffering ahead. You know, we got dog leg wiggle ahead or whatever, you know, when you're driving down the road. It's coming. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, 12. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Apostle Paul tells us again, through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of heaven. It's coming. How do you get ready? Well, how do you get ready to, to, to pursue a, a career? How do you get ready? I mean, y'all all know, don't you? What do you do? I told I told this guy that's now my son-in-law, you know what I told him? I said, uh, you want to get married to my daughter, you got to go get a career. And you know what he did? He got into class. And I thought to myself, two weeks later, I thought, this guy's real serious. He got into class to be a fireman, to be a fireman. He it did it. And then he went to academy. Then he went to the next thing. What do you do to get ready for a career? You take the classes. You write the papers. You answer the questions. What do you do if you're going to train for the marathon? 
You get up and you drink your coffee. Then you eat this many calories. And then you run that many more miles. And at night you go and run more miles. What do you do to get ready for the suffering that's coming? Well, you come to service. Come to the worship. You come and you go through the liturgy. And you're fed and you go through this with God's people. This is what you do. And so you... You hear the Word of God, you hear the law of God read, you're convicted of your sins, you confess your sins, and after you confess your sins, you receive this assurance of pardon, and you walk away going, I'm relieved, I'm relieved, I'm forgiven. And God comes and He feeds us at the sacrament of this table. Jesus is here to give us something that we need. And every one of us, whether we're going through difficulty right now or not, we all need to know that our sins are forgiven. We all need to know that we're in right standing with God. We all need to know that we are loved beyond measure. Whether we're in a season full of suffering or not. And I would plead with you to listen to this next thing. When should you be most diligent? When should you be careful not to be negligent? When we're complacent, you know what we do? My son and I were talking about this the other day. When we're complacent, we're, we're prone to get up and watch a video in the morning and go to bed at night and watch a video at night. But when we're going through difficulties, we don't watch videos. We read Scripture and we pray and we go to bed at night and we read and we pray. And I'm going to say this to you, folks. When you're having an easy time, get up in the morning and read and pray and watch the videos later. Go to bed reading the Bible and praying. Watch the videos later. You need to realize that when the, when the lake is calm, the devil is near. I didn't say that. John Owen said that. But I never forgot it. Be ready. Stay diligent. Stay always diligent because it's coming. Suffering's coming. Some of us are in a season full of suffering right now. And what are you supposed to do? Trust, listen to this, trust your training. You've been training, trust your training. You've been training for it. Now think back about David. When did you find out about David? We, we got a David, he's out there, he's, as Eliab says, he's out there with his few sheep, right, his brother. He's the eighth, he's the run of the pack. Where's David? He's out with his sheep. What's he doing out there? Well, he's singing songs to God. He's got a sling and he's got smooth stones and he's hitting hares 50 yards away. He's playing the harp. He's taking hold of lions and tigers and bears and killing them with his bare hands. Nobody knows this until we find out later. Then he comes on the scene and he kills a giant. He pleases the king. He plays the harp for the king. He becomes the king's general. He goes out and win the, wins the king's battles for him. And then the women got him in trouble. Now you girls need to be careful how you sing about men, other men. David has slain his tens of thousands. Saul, only thousands. David's in trouble. David has to run. And what does he do? Well, he runs to the Word of God. Samuel represented the Word of God. He runs to a covenant friend who made him swear out an oath with him before God named Jonathan. He went to the priest and he inquired of a word from the Lord. Then, of course, I don't know what happens when he goes to Achish. We won't, tell, we won't talk about that. But he is going to talk to Achish later. But then he goes to a cave and what's he doing? He's praying. He's praying. 
What do you do when the bottom falls out? You know what we're tempted to do when the bottom falls out, folks? You know what we do? I think I'll go. I think I'll not go to church today. The bottom fell out in my life. I think I'll not go to church today. Is that what you feel like doing? <laughs> Don't we feel like not going to church when the bottom falls out sometimes? You need to go to church when the bottom falls out. I never forget. I interviewed somebody to join a church in California, and. And this woman sat in front of me and she started crying. She said, the hardest thing I've ever done is I was pregnant. And my dad said, we're about to do the hardest thing you've ever done. And she said, what is that? We're going to take you to church tomorrow. We're going to tell everybody. We're going to confess our sins. And that church grabbed hold of her and took care of her. We don't want to go to church sometimes. But we need to go to church. We need to go to church. We need to worship. We need to eat and drink what's given to us from the Lord's hand. We need to celebrate. We need to cling to the grace of God that's given to us. I don't want to take too much time, but I can tell you, uh, there's been times that things are a little easier sometimes, right? But I can tell you about a time that got really hard. It was May, and a woman came, and she told me she wanted to commit suicide. And so I connected with her husband, and we started working with this woman about getting her help. And then while I was preaching, I looked back there in the back, right back there, about a little behind where Emil was sitting. And there was a man weeping. As I, I, I thought to myself while I was preaching, this man must have cancer. While I'm preaching, he's just weeping, out weeping. Two and a half hours later, he's at my house telling me that his daughter's pregnant. And so now we're dealing with the woman who wants to commit suicide. We're dealing with a young lady who's pregnant and her boyfriend. And they repented. And so things are smoothing over a little bit. And we brought this and talked about all of these things in front of the church. And we're going to help all these things out. And and, uh, we're going through all of this. And so I spent nine Week, nine weeks talking to this couple and getting them ready to get married. Five hundred people showed up to this wedding. At ten o'clock at night, a seven-year-old boy fell off a four-wheeler and it killed him. At the wedding, and it just got really hard. Breathing was hard. Getting out of bed was hard, and it wasn't my own, it wasn't my kid, but he used to sneak up on me in my office and poke me in the back of the head. Doing the funeral was hard. The only thing that can get you through this is to trust your training. The only thing is to go hear the Word of God and trust the Spirit of God is working that Word in you. The only thing you can do is take the sacrament that comes from Jesus' hand. The only thing we can do is get in our cave and pray and fellowship with God's people. We're suffering, but we're not alone, folks. Jesus is instituting this supper. and He's with His brothers, yes, but there's something He has to do alone. 
Peter's over here. Y'all remember what he says in Luke 22. He says, Lord, with you I'll go both to prison and to death. Well, Jesus can't take Peter with him. And Peter can't do the saving. Jesus has to do the saving and he has to depart from Peter. And so Jesus has to go to the cross alone. Jesus has to be interrogated by the chief priest alone. Jesus has to go to the cross and be crushed alone so that you might never be alone. Never. He was alone, so you might never be alone. You say to yourself, oh, I'm alone. No, not really. Oh, I'm alone. There's no human person with me. Okay, I got you. But Jesus dies on the cross and is abandoned for your sins, so you would never be alone. You remember the story in Luke where it says that the Emmaus disciples are walking and Jesus is walking with them and they don't know it's Him? He was with them. They just didn't know it. Sometimes you need to realize the Spirit of God's with you and you just don't know it. And so they're walking with Him for those seven miles. And the Bible says their hearts were burning as every word Jesus said. And then Jesus stops. I mean, Jesus would go on and they beg Him to stay. And what does He do? He takes some bread and He blesses the bread and He breaks the bread and they recognize those hands and He vanishes away from them with them all the time. And then for 40 days, Jesus stays along with them for 40 days. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and 10 days later, the Spirit of God is poured out so that He might be with us all the time. Physically, He can only be with a few people at a time. But spiritually, the Spirit of God being poured out, He can be with us all the time. And so you are never alone. You have a king who is ruling and reigning over you. You have a master who's subduing you to himself, defending you and restraining all of his and all of your enemies. You're not alone. You have a prophet who preaches to you, who teaches you through ordinary men whose words burn in your soul and guide you and direct you to glorify Him. You have a high priest who can sympathize with all your weaknesses. He has suffered. He's been tempted in every way, and He's able to help you. He never ceases to intercede for you. Even now, Jesus is praying that all the power and all the, all the grace that you need is being brought down to you in this valley of tears. He's never going to quit. He's never going to stop. And He's praying for you always to persevere. He sits there, and even now He's going to hand us this bread and this wine as we celebrate together. Listen to 1 Corinthians ten seventeen. Since there is one bread, we, who are many, are one body. We, for we all partake of this one bread. Now, this is what's going to happen today. Jesus is going to give us this bread and this wine. And then you're going to take those trays, and you're going to pass them to one another. And so you're going to serve each other even as Jesus has served you. And so just like David was in that cave, the anointed king, with those 400 men, we have Jesus with us. We're gathered around him and we're not alone in our suffering. Our suffering is not without meaning as we think about this and come to a conclusion. Jesus suffered 
but it was not without meaning. Jesus goes to the cross and He atones for our sin. He takes away our sins. He destroys the works of the devil. And He will, as Mr. Larson said, He will build His church. He's surrounding Himself with all those whom the Father has given Him. He's saving each one of you, one at a time, through the preaching of the gospel. And we have a merciful high priest. Our suffering is not without meaning. Everything that we go through is not for nothing. It's through the suffering that He builds the church. It's through, through you... You know, we we have these trucks over by the house coming out of this pit, just pulling all that gravel and dirt out of this big old hole, this quarry. He's taking you out like a stone and He's working on you so He can put you together with other stones and He's making a beautiful building. And it kind of hurts sometimes. But He's making something out of you for His own glory. Paul writes, for momentary... I don't, you know... Sometimes I want to say, Paul, momentary? That's what he calls it. Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Jesus is looking through the the affliction of the cross and seeing his people, and he's going to get those people. So he, he passes through it. And so you and I, we look at our afflictions and we realize there's an eternal weight of glory on the other side of this. We're storing up Treasure in heaven, we we can't see it all right now, but it's there. It's there. And so until then, our suffering will not be without nourishment. You know, suffering's draining. Have you ever been around somebody who suffers? Have you ever looked in their eyes? All you have to do is look in their eyes. They, they They just about can't see straight if they're hurting. It's like they're looking through fog when they're trying to make sense. They're exhausted. They're fatigued. And sometimes when we're hurting, we find ourselves saying, when will I get a break? When do I get rest? Now, um, I'm on purpose fixing to say something. We all want a a pit stop, don't we, when we're on a ride, we're on a big trip. So all you guys, a bunch of you guys like to go to Busey's. Right? You like to go to Busey's? You like to go to Bucky's? I said Busey's on purpose. I kind of have a pet peeve about Busey's. You know why? Every one of these men knows there's no place to sit down. When I get out of my car and go do my business and get myself something to drink and get myself some chips and walk around that store and look at all their little, little things with my wife, I want a place to sit down. And if I want to sit down, I've got to go get back in the car and sit down and eat something. Kind of got a pet peeve about Busey's. But we all, need a pet, we all need a pit stop. We all need a break. That's what this is. This is a break. This is a pit stop. Jesus is the one who's helping us with our drained feeling and our fatigued feelings. This meal is not ending, it will not end our suffering, but it will help us get through our suffering. It's a pit stop today that Jesus gives to us in our hands so that we can rush off to the next business at hand. 
Now, I don't know if you ever saw, there's a documentary that came out about marathon runners, and they took the three greatest marathon runners in the world, and they studied them. Over here in the United States, these scientists studied these men. And one of the men they found out while he was running, you remember all those people when they're doing a marathon, there's these guys, and they're holding up the water, and they're holding up the gels, and they're holding up the bananas and the bars and the so forth, and they're all cheering them on. And there's this one guy, this really world-class marathoner, they studied him and they saw that he never took any water, never took a gel, never took a banana, all 26 miles, 285 yards. And they had to explain to him he would do much better if he did. <laughs> they had to help him to understand this. And Jesus is the sufferer. And he stands here in front of us with both hands full of bread and wine to take care of us today. He's... He's wildly encouraging you to finish. He's wildly telling you to take these elements. Are you going to pass him by? You neglect these things today? Unlike Bucky's, you get to sit down. You get to take the cup. You get to take the bread that he offers us. This morning, it's my privilege to invite all of you to the Lord's Supper that Jesus, our suffering servant and Savior, offered and instituted for suffering people. Are you one of His people? Have you made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before this congregation or some or one like it? Have you been baptized? Have you placed yourself under the care of a session of elders who are keeping watch over your soul? This table's for you. Before we come this morning, we are warned by the Apostle Paul that we ought to examine ourselves, to try ourselves, and make sure we're ready to eat in a worthy manner. I think it's important for us to think about something. It's not a perfect manner, it's a worthy manner. Because there's no perfect manner in this building right now. Jesus is the only one who can eat in a perfect manner. You and I are to eat in a worthy manner. Our worthiness is based on Christ worthiness. We put our faith in His worthiness and that makes us worthy to eat and drink today. So do you come because you're pretty good? Do you come because you've had a good week? Or you, do you come based on His righteousness? Come on based on His righteousness and you're ready to eat. If you don't know what we're doing this morning... If you've not made a profession of faith this morning, I'm going to ask that you participate by allowing the trays to pass you by, but to think about what we've preached today. Think about the body broken and the blood poured out for your salvation. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ first, and then we'll have this meal together in the future. Beloved, it's time to eat. And Jesus has come to the table with all your tears, with all your hurt backs, with all your hurt foots, and all these soul pains that we experience. And be encouraged. Do this for His glory and for the good of your soul. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we praise You and we thank You that You are so good to us. We thank you for your son who came to this earth to suffer, 
and establish this meal that we might preach that suffering to ourselves and to one another and that we also might have the benefits of his suffering communicated to us. We pray, Father, as we rely completely on Jesus Christ's righteousness, we pray that we might be fed the body and blood of Jesus Christ with faith in our hearts, spiritually strengthen us for these days ahead. We'll praise you for it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.